time on our hands. Never mind the time on our hands <laughs> podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to part three of the Too Much Time on Our Hands podcast. Uh, right. I'm Andy Crane. <laughs> Andy Crane, that's so Andy Crane. Right, we're going to get, it, this is the the topic part of this week's one. This is the only one, we've, we've only done one topic this week. So, uh, Tom, take it away. What's this week's topic? This week's topic is a very simple one. It is a love fest for a film that we're all fans of. I may potentially be the bigger fan of this I don't know but sure I, I think, think that's fair yeah no, I um, think that's fair to say <clears throat> but I wanted to talk about the fantastic horror film Haunted House set in space epic that is the first alien film and the reason is very simple it is the best example of sci-fi horror done very well it is probably one of the best examples of a used future universe done very well um, it is just spellbinding from start to finish it is a true repeat watcher and the, you notice I mean I, even today after watching it you know probably hundreds of times is probably an exaggeration um, but you know many many times I still notice little things that I didn't notice the time before or the time before that mm. like for instance you know spoiler warning we all know that Ash eventually turns out to be an android. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a fantastic scene when Dallas, Lambert and uh, Kane are making their way out the airlock and they're walking towards the source of the transmission, which turns out to be the fantastic uh, derelict. Um, that Ash walks into his little science blister uh, on the side of the ship uh, and uh, he looks around kind of half-heartedly uh, sorry, not half, kind of sheepishly. Um, everyone else on the crew has been remarking on how cold it is, and he pretends to warm himself up slightly. And I never really noticed how sheepishly and almost sinisterly he looks around at, you know, seeing if other people are seeing him doing it. He's just doing it because he thinks that that's one of the best ways to sort of make himself look human. Mm. Anyway, it's little things like that. It's, it's the design of the film, it's the design of the ship, it's the design of the derelict, it's the design of the planet, it's the characters. The whole film just... It's just perfect. Nothing is wasted in that no. film. There is mm. nothing wasted in it. It is all there for a reason. Everything that happens to the crew, everything that happens to the ship, it's all... It's, it's, it's just... It's, I mean, it's, I, I see the problem is I find it difficult to talk about it in anything but gushing terms... Well, that's what this that's is. That's okay, for. yeah. Gush fest. It's the anniversary as well, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It's coming up, yeah. Um, I'll tell you a story because it'll set the scene. I first watched Alien uh, when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. And it was with my friend uh, who's never won't mention because I haven't asked him whether or not he's happy with me saying the name of the podcast. Mm. But let's call him Jeff. Re- Jeffrey oh, Peffins Bruno. so Jeffrey and my, me are sitting so it's Jeffrey Peffins <laughs> and me we're sitting there and we're watching um, Alien and he's, he's already seen it he said have you ever seen it I said no 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 I've never seen it ironically I'd, I'd seen Aliens 
before. <laughs> same. Yeah, I did yeah. the same thing. So we'd watched Aliens, I think, the weekend before, and I found myself around his house again the following weekend, and we watched Alien. And compared to Aliens, watching it the other way around, I was expecting something bombastic and, yeah. you know, with firefights and the Marines and all that mm. sort of stuff. I'd had an inkling of what Ripley had been through because of what happens at the beginning of Alien. So I was kind of aware of these characters that existed in the universe where as she looks sorrowfully at the screen and sees Dallas's face and things like that. But I wasn't prepared for the film that we watched. And I did jump at that scene in the vents. I did. And I was yeah. spellbound by... Well, how can you not? I still jump at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's coming. And I, it's like, it's like the, um, the head floating down... Out of the boat in Jaws, it always gets me yeah, every yeah, time. Yeah. <laughs> just fuck it up. It's um, yeah. So we we were watching it, and I, I just wasn't I wasn't prepared for how good it was. I I was expecting the bombast, but what I got was an incredibly well paced film that never quite shows you what they're up against. No, and goes from being a bunch of guys who seem to be kind of doing the right thing and stopping to investigate a signal of unknown origin which they believe to be a distress signal at that point as per company rules and they end up bringing on board that parasite which now that very iconic parasite the face hugger yeah you see what i mean that that's the that's the thing about it you know they set out to make a film that was genuinely scary and everything was right they got an insane fucking artist to design the creature mm. and its egg and the derelict and, and it just it owes so much to H.R. Geiger I think oh it does of course it does and Matt can you imagine had it been a more campy design well, can yeah. you imagine if it was made nowadays like if, if we'd never had Alien and they decided mm. what the alien would look well, like well it would almost definitely be completely CGI yeah yeah absolutely they were real things. The, yeah. the derelict was a real thing that was crafted by yeah. Geiger's hands. Yeah. So you've got to ask yourself. I mean, his his work before Alien was all weird anyway. And they based it on, I think it was Necronomicon 4, which was one of his pictures, which was of a kind of a <laughs> yeah. female alien kind of weird thing with an elongated mm. head, like kind of with a very sexualised form. That's it. It's very phallic. <clears throat> Um, it's also like a mix between machine and yeah. organic biomechanics. Things it looks like tubes yeah. and things, but yeah, yeah, and it's I mean it's just phenomenal. It's, it's an incredible design because it's just mm. it, it's nightmarish in a way that it you is. don't get from traditional monsters. No. Mm. Because you think because of the sci-fi setting that you're going to get something kind of you know it's alien. Oh, so they're going to encounter an alien. You're not prepared for that weird-looking ship. You know, you mm. kind of think, oh, it's going to be a flying saucer. It's not a flying saucer. It looks like a wishbone. Mm. It's a big wishbone with bumps and lumps where it shouldn't be. And, you know, and then that huge alien, um, that huge alien sitting in the chair, yeah. you know. And, and actually, that, that thing doesn't get barely any mention or really any screen that. time. I love mm. how it just, it just, it's a mystery, isn't it? It's just it a remains a mystery until, until Prometheus. Prometheus yeah, yeah. So. Where we suddenly discover yeah. that it's a bio suit that it's wearing and it's got and a breathing pipe, which isn't a trunk. <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? It, but at the time when we saw it, it was a... Uh, a big elephant monster. Something <laughs> weird <laughs> strapped to its chair with yeah. a burst ribcage. Yeah. 
you know and it's, and it's just, spellbinding it's, kind of what is that I and love, then as soon as you see it it's gone I love that kind of world building where there's just things like that that they don't have um, like a direct impact on the story it mm. doesn't it's not a callback it doesn't come back later in the film and you go oh it was that thing mm. all along it's just there just to give you a, like a sense of depth and history and just uh, just it's, it's just fantastic art and set design isn't it mm. Well, it, it makes it feel like a living, breathing world. And I don't want to compare it to something incomparable to, but it's, it's, it's why I'm not a big fan of anything we've seen from Batman so far. Like, why can't someone do that with Gotham? Why can't someone create a living, breathing Gotham in a very similar way to Alien? I'm not talking about, obviously, designs and stuff, but what they created was a world that looked lived in and yeah. looked real to the point that it was terrifying. Mm. I mean, were any of us none of us were born presumably when no. uh, first Alien film was released? Seventy nine. No. Yeah, it? yeah. So I'm trying to think of what came before and how what the kind of impact it would have had because, from what I gather, it's quite a revolutionary kind of vision of sci-fi. Mm. Or for the time, it was like a new way of looking at sci-fi. This kind of grungy um, industrial. Yeah. Because um, we. The crew of the Stromo are—they're truckers, aren't they? Basically, mm. they're cargo. They're on a cargo yeah. ship. They're haulers, and they don't—they don't look Star Trek. You know, they—they they look like American truckers. Yeah. You know, they're in their civvies. They, you know, rags and you know nothing flashy. The the tech on the ship is all very industrial looking. It's not mm. um, you know lasers and big flashing neon lights and stuff. It's all very low tech. In a CRT way. screens phones attached to the yeah, wall loads of exposed pipes and, and yeah. you know it's a grungy dirty looking place not a great deal of weapons either which is not something you generally see in sci-fi sci-fi no. you're immediately yeah, expecting like laser then, weapons but again and... that's what makes the story fit so yeah. well is that is that even the weapons that are made you can see a difference between the things that the characters make mm. Parker and Brett the two grungy dirty engineers throw together yeah. these ramshackle flamethrowers mm. that are constantly flickering with a flame out the front yeah. because they're not working properly they've been cobbled together you can see they've been cobbled together yeah. the whereas the uh, um, <clears throat> the motion tracker that Ash makes is a bit more refined and it's almost as if something he kind of as the android he was probably programmed to kind of think well what can I make that makes it look like I'm helping them but not helping them enough <laughs> that it will actually help them if you know what I mean oh it measures micro changes in air density mm. it's like well that's great but it's going to pick up moving movement all over the place then if that's the case you know it's 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 only helping so much but his mm. stuff looks a little bit more refined and he, he, everything echoed the characters that it was around yep. even the way they ate you know it was um Ash sits there um, just kind of chewing pensively uh, mm. while while they're having their last supper as they call it and sort of as the camera glides away from him he just looks over the edge of his hand towards Kane he's obviously talking to someone on his right kind of makes a motion to them and then just sinisterly moves to the right of his hand and looks over towards Kane who's heaping you know who that who came the character well, Kane's the one he's already infected at this point exactly he's he's talking about how you know he'd already in the film been talking about how it was diamonds and stuff like that so he's kind of like there are my booty I want my booty sort of character <laughs> and he's heaping the stuff onto his plate and things like that whereas Dallas is you know kind of sitting there kind of kind of reserved and, and watching his crew his you know his happy crew kind of yeah. all back together yeah. eh? and <clears throat> the Kane eating I always 
thought, I don't know if this is actually true or whether it's just something I kind of got from it, was that he's he's almost eating for two. So that's mm. why he's heaping it on. It's mm. like he's yeah. he, he, he's got an insatiable appetite. Yeah. Like the, you know, the parasite is in... Uh, kind of messing with his um, mm. mentality already, but yeah, yeah. No, I would agree with that. Mm. And it's also wonderfully set up, isn't it? Is that um, even the most advanced scientific tools that Ash has access to can't, um, you know, in inverted commas, can't uh, penetrate the dark stain on his chest that's developing. Whereas you know for a fact that by well by the end you know for a fact that that must have been because Ash was fiddling with the tools. Okay, you know that there's. The, the Ash, Ash was almost like the husband. He was protecting the baby. Yeah. And he was getting. He gets very defensive when anyone tries to interfere with Kane or anything like that. You know, he's very sort of like just even alone. Why, why are you getting? Well, you know, why you, he, he, the way he reacts to Ripley is like a protective husband. It's like a mm. kind of shielding. So I quite like that analogy that he's eating for two. Yeah. He does because <laughs> like he's heaping it on, and he's yeah. sort of like, you know, I really can't wait to get some real food. And actually, Parker yeah. makes a comment that, well, you know what, they make that stuff of, kind of implying that it's recycled <laughs> waste. You know, it's yeah. like <laughs> made into noodles. Yeah. yeah. But then that's an iconic scene as well. That whole it's from start to finish, <clears throat> probably the most iconic scene, or certainly mm. one of them. I mean, yeah. I was um, true story watching Funhouse true story. the other day. And um, I might have brought this up in another podcast, but Pat Sharp brought it up to a bunch of five-year-olds. He, like, referenced the chestburster scene from, from Alien. And I thought, if you can pitch that at five-year-olds and they get the reference, yeah. you know, that is, like, an iconic scene. You know, they, they all sort of nod along and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Good, good one, Pat. Yeah, nice one, yeah. Yeah, that's all, all, the, yeah, all the red sauce. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a film that's done kind of sensory deprivation as well as that film as well. Mm. It's, it's very much... We talked about how you don't see the alien, but it's not just yeah. not seeing the alien, it's not seeing anything. It's about being in pipes while there's loud music going off and there's uh, a siren, obviously, and then there's like a flashing light and then there's smoke coming out and it's what you're not seeing. Mm. I don't think there's Absolutely. a film that does it as well as alien. One of the great all-time film, uh, film sirens as well. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. just that constant tone yeah but you say sensory deprivation that kind of made me think about the um the way they use the sound cutting to and from loud sound yeah yeah um when ash is sitting overseeing them when they're walking towards the derelict yeah quiet as a mouse in mm. his bunker the second it goes outside and then as they go into the derelict all goes quiet again yeah and then a bit later on when all the wind is blowing and they're trying to get back in and then Ash overrides the quarantine procedures and lets them into the yeah. Yeah. into the bus it suddenly goes deathly quiet mm. and all you can hear is that beautiful <laughs> if you listen to, if yeah. you watch Aiden again listen to those scenes when they're in the medical thing all you can hear in the background is this kind of <laughs> just really gentle low mm hum that rises and, and falls just in kind of really slow kind of frequency yeah. as they're trying to negotiate around. So basically your ears have been thundered with the whipping storm and then suddenly it yeah. goes almost dead. And all you see are a bunch of frightened people working out how to get this thing off. And then suddenly they get the idea to cut through the knuckle, the ash, the, the acid splashes on the floor. Yeah. And then it's one of the one of the times in the film where it actually has incidental music, and it's got that kind of do, 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 
yeah. with it running down the stairs and trying to work out where which floors it's gone through. And then once that's done, no more sound again. Yeah. And it's just brilliant. You're absolutely bang on with the sensory deprivation it's, because you are just kept tense the whole way through because you never know what's going to happen next. That's the, the, the best films use every tool they can possibly use to, to provide an experience. Mm. And it's one of the reasons that it's completely different. No Country for Old Men is one of my all-time favourite films in the sense that there's very little music outside of what's being played on the radio. It's diegetic, non-diegetic music, mm. isn't it? But it's... it's um, and the gunshots are incredibly loud. It's an incredibly quiet film with incredibly loud gunshots. Every time someone fires a gun, you know about it. And yeah. Alien does the same thing. It's, it's as I say, really quiet and really, really loud. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's shockingly loud to the point where you're kind of yeah. like, taken aback by it. Yeah. Because there's even that moment where she slams it, where she's on the shuttle after she's detonated the Nostromo's mm. engine. And she's uh, hurried herself back into a, uh, into a, a little cupboard where there's mm. a spacesuit that she very sexily gets herself into. That was when Sigourney Weaver was hot. Um, <clears throat> not that she isn't hot yeah. now, she's very beautiful. Um, tiny 70s pants. Tiny 70s, tiny 70s pants, yeah. pants, yeah. Cotton panties, fresh panties for the ride home. <laughs> and uh, that again, all the noise disappears. Yeah. And she's actually, it, what it does is it forces you into the same isolation that she's now found, found herself. <laughs> Is that you are you are right there with her because yeah. all you can do is watch the alien yeah. as it unfolds yeah, itself yeah. from where it's been, and you just, think, "Fucking hell, we're right there with her." It's really tense. You don't know what's going to happen. You just hear the heavy breathing in her space suit. Yeah, just the just, panic, and just it's yeah, so good. It is brilliant from that relative moment of calm where she was just undoing her um, necklace and putting it down on the side while she was just preparing to go into cry sleep. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant. Still, still, a very affecting to this day. Have so you heard any, um, um, <clears throat> like, um, what do they call it? Like retrospective? Oh no, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, theories, basically, on different meanings and hidden meanings that you have taken your interest um, in the alien films. Because I'll tell you what, the one I was, the one that I didn't pick up on that I was reading about was how. Um, the the humans in the film are shown to be uh, like a colony of their own because mm. you've they're basically we meet them in while they're in cryostasis right yeah so they're all in their beds just waiting right they're waiting for something to disturb them yeah so mother wakes them up mother's in charge mother is the the queen the queen mm. bee the hive mind <clears throat> wakes up all her drones because they get the distress signal right yeah. So then they go, and then they go and investigate, blah, blah, blah. And it's all in the interests of... Well, really, it's, they're shown to kind of be uh, just curious, or just, you know, it's their kind of duty as astronauts to kind of find this distress signal, right? But really, it's Wayland Jutani um, who have a vested interest in trying to, um, you know, colonise, basically, or kind of to try and... Mm find uh, something out there. They've got their vested interest in trying to kind of recover an alien, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, that. But they also hold the um, crew instead by the fact that if they don't do it according to company contract, they'll forfeit their shares of the, uh, at the end of the mission. Because basically they're they're hauling, uh, you know, it's a commercial hauler, isn't it? Yeah. They're hauling an oil refinery or two refineries, I think it is. Yeah. um, Back across to Earth. And if they don't 
do it, then they forfeit their share in whatever the oil is. So basically, whatever you know, that's that's basically what they do. They basically, like you say, they've got Wayland Utani as the dad, yeah, kind of withholding the pocket money if they don't go and do it, and you've got mother waking yeah. them up to go and do it on daddy's orders. But it just shows, like you know, when um, Kane and the team go down to the uh, LV two four four it? two six. Yes, LB426. And they find the aliens. The aliens are waiting in... Uh, or, sorry, the eggs are there in cryostasis, basically. They're mm. waiting for something to come and mm. uh, change, to wake them up. And yeah. that's what happens. So it, there's an interesting parallel there that I never caught on to. This idea that the two species kind of work in a similar way, or they're shown to kind of work in a similar way in the film. That's interesting. Because mm. mm. they do say that, don't they? There's a lot of people who kind of say that it is it is like that, that, that the the crew and the characters and the Nostromo emerge from a chrysalis at the yeah. end. Um, and it's almost like a comment on natural selection because they emerge from the chrysalis as a new creature and there's only one left by the end of it. The strongest survived, basically, and it wasn't the alien. Yeah. Against mm. the threat of life and evolution, which is, you know, the alien is supposedly a hyper-evolved species. I mean, Ash says so. Yes, it is. You know, a perfect yeah. organism. yeah. You know, it's supposed to be the peak mm. of, of evolution. Yeah. But it's still destroyed by the strongest. It's, it's destroyed by the <clears throat> innate um, will to survive. Yeah. Of human beings. Despite being termed a survivor. Yeah. By Ash. Well, mm. disembodied Ash. Mm. Which, by the way, is one of my all-time favourite scenes for... It's the only time in the whole film where my suspension of disbelief gets rocked back into place mm. because uh, sorry gets rocked away because I'm happy to accept everything but I'm not happy to accept Ian Holmes's papier-mâché head that suddenly turns, <laughs> that suddenly goes from being a lifeless floppy thing to quite clearly flesh and blood you know it's yeah. that one bit but I do like the way they synthesize his voice in that scene yeah yes I can hear you <laughs> it's, it's, and that scene just chills me to the bone because it's just a soulless machine. It's just a sleeper agent that's just been sat. The, um, the, the magazine mm. scene always just terrified me. Yeah. And I still find it it's so creepy. This is just such a terrifying way. Um, so the way he rolls up that newspaper. So basically in the, the scene is he tries to kill Ripley by, um, <laughs> by rolling up a magazine and trying to stuff it down her throat. Mm. And it's just such a violent, but clinical, the way he does it. Sort of a clinical, he's kind of, he looks emotionless, but also at the same time seething. The way he's like rolling up like a dad who's furious and mm. he's just squeezing this magazine into, you know, rolling up and then just stuffing it on the front. It's absolutely terrifying. And Ash is already malfunctioning by that point. Yeah. Because you, we've already seen him sweating uh, his conductive fluid, the white stuff okay. that comes trailing down his face. And... There's a great moment where he's knocked Ripley to the to the floor. Where he eventually picks up the magazine when he ties stuff. Just and just before he Ian Holmes managed to I don't know how he did it, but managed to um, get his one of his eyelids to involuntarily flutter and kind of pulls and kind of pulls it back. And you see him kind of reorienting his head as if he's kind of mm. knocking a defective part of him kind of back into shape. And then he starts kind of rubbing one of his hands together, looking for something to. <laughs> to to kill Ripley with, but again, it's a, it mirrors it. You know, Kane was killed by the face hugger, which inserts a tube down the throat. 
he was trying to kill Ripley by inserting a magazine yeah. down her throat. Um, Ash is killed by having a shock prod, one of the shock prods that was built by Parker and Brett, rammed down the whole of his body. Mm. Um, you know, they, they knock his head off when they discover he's a robot, which is the dead giveaway was all the wires, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then they ram the thing down his throat. So basically, you know, a lot of people get either dispatched by something being rammed down their throat or something rammed into their head. It's, without trying to bring the tone down too much, it's kind of an allegory for, like, rape, basically. Well, there's a lot of fan speculation, isn't there, about rape, about what happens to Lambert. Okay. When she dies, there's a mm. lot of speculation that um, she is, in fact... I mean, in the book, she is... Uh, it's very explicitly... Um, kind of reference that she is indeed the alien does indeed kind of decapitate her from within um, whereas in the film it's kind of left a bit more ambiguous because mm. the last thing you see of her is her screaming and mm. then the next thing you see is her um, quite clearly trouserless body hanging from whatever the aliens shoved her onto but the alien is given in that film much more sinister intent than any of the other aliens in the entire series the alien in the first film is much more scary because it seems to do <clears throat> things. It seems to, you know, like it's just lying in the shuttle, just on its own. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. And and it's that you know at that point, and and also it waits until it corners Bre- uh, Parker and Lambert when they're trying to get all the oxygen tanks to take to the shuttle to meet Ripley. Yeah, it dispatches him with a punch, head punch mm. to the head, yeah. and then sort of slowly and methodically walks towards Lambert, whereas the aliens we see in Aliens... Yeah, they tend to just throw themselves... They throw themselves yeah, yeah. kind of headfirst and... But then maybe you could explain that by saying Pat the alien in the first one... Yeah, exactly. The first film, he's alone. Well, you know, it's alone. Yeah. And it has to... You know, it's essentially trying to create a new colony, presumably, isn't it? It's mm. trying to s- spread. But in the original cut, we don't know that that's what it's doing. In the original cut, there's all the scenes that were put in afterwards, like when Ripley finds Dallas in the hive. Mm. They, they they weren't ever part of the original cut. So, <clears throat> yeah. well, actually, what he says is, um, like Rupert Murdoch at the Leveson Inquiry. <laughs> Mr. Murdoch, did you uh, ever see anything going on with phone hacking? <gasps> no! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, <clears throat> I've heard the whole thing is supposed to be an allegory for the male fear of childbirth. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, because um, in the book, the novelisation was written by Alan Dean Foster. Love you, Alan. Um, <laughs> he um, he specifically uh, mentions that they refer to the alien as Cain's child. Yeah, through it, so. I mean, <clears throat> it stirred up some particularly nasty feelings in me when I was 13 years old. Yeah. I was terrified. <laughs> you know, every time I choked on a bit of food or something like that, I thought, you know, sort of, you know I was eating sort of <laughs> dinner. I was like, oh, God! You know, like... Um, yeah, it stirs up some horrible things, especially, I mean, the look of the alien as well, it just stirs up horrendous thoughts in you because it's just like, what the fuck? is this thing mm. you know and, and d- disassociate yourself from Prometheus and all that bollocks and the speculation that the black liquid is what 
might be the thing that hyper-evolved some organism into this perfect bioweapon that they used. I mean, like you said before, the space jockey, for that's what it was at that mm. point, has obviously crashed on that planet or set down on that planet years ago. Mm. Yeah. Maybe millennia ago. You know, we have no idea how long, because it's fossilised, basically, by the time they find him. He's basically calcified to the sea. So he could have been there for ages and ages and ages. It's just something that's just landed there. So God knows how old the the aliens are, you know, these eggs, how long they've been there. You know, it's it's just... It's just... It's like you said about things just being there. Yeah. It is. It's almost like they stumble across mm. this thing that's been sat there for thousands of years, and they're just... Well, that's what they do, isn't it? It's a parasite. It just waits, waits patiently waits. for someone to discover it. Yeah. And sure enough, it, it happens. Yeah. I mean, what's that? Do you think all those eggs were then just created from the from the space jockey? It's like one space jockey, is it? Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because like, what they the, there's a lot of theories that people say that either the ship was the site of a hive after an outbreak on the ship. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so it crash-landed, so so, it brought... Oh, I never even thought of it that way. Yeah, so there's that theory, but that's kind of discounted by Prometheus now, because we know that one jockey can, or one engineer, can fly a dreadnought of that size, because there was only one left, and he, he was taken off and yeah. disappearing. Um, the, the sort of more readily accepted one is that that is the cargo... Area mm. of that ship and the ship was carrying those eggs, those eggs and yeah. it set down because one of them got loose the pilot got clumsy and potentially it didn't happen as he was getting close to LV-426 LV-426 just happened to be the planet that he crashed into to make sure that it was far away enough from anyone else yeah. that they would never come near it and then he set the acoustical beacon well, to maybe, repeat at 12 seconds just, that's where he ended up because well that's where he ended up yeah. um, you know and that's the, I, I do like that I like also that there's that really sort of kind of hackneyed plot twist that it's um, oh it's not a distress signal it's a warning it's a warning that's repeating every 12 seconds saying stay away yeah stay away don't come near us you know and um, you know again it's referenced later on in Aliens when the Jordan family are sent out to um, yep. scope out the area by Carter J by, signed by Burke Carter J um, you know <laughs> who sent them out there. you sent them out there Burke and you didn't warn them you know like they were just sent out there and they found it and of course the human greed thing is exploited and they go oh yeah we're going to fucking make loads of money let's go and have a look inside oh shit I've got an alien on my face you know like, and then they get taken back and then of course it's not enough that one of them got um, sort of you know face hugged that all the other ones go oh why don't we go and have a look at this like, oh I've got one on my face too you know, but I, I've got to say, deleted scenes-wise. Sorry, this is literally just me talking. No, no, it? it's, it's fine. Keep going. Um, like the the um, the the scene that I like most is probably the one that was cut, which is the one where they find um, where she finds Dallas. Yeah, because she also finds Brett, or at least what's left of Brett. And Brett is slowly but surely his body is being used to create another egg, because you can see him. You can see. Brett, yeah, kind of inside this egg that's being formed around him. I don't think I've noticed that before. Which um, people say is this sort of different way that the aliens can multiply. And I, this is this is where it gets like kind of <laughs> quite in depth. So the obvious thing is that there's an egg, yeah, 
and the egg has a face hugger in it, and the face hugger has to attach itself to an organism yeah. and implant an alien embryo inside it, which yeah. then gestates and then bursts out of the chest like a, uh, a wasp larva in the tarantulas. And then that's it. And then the alien molts and grows and, and then becomes a drone. Yeah. But the question is, where's the egg come from? So that was sort of answered in Aliens with the Queen. But, of course, you still need... There you yeah, go. Yeah. There's a picture, a hideous picture of Brett being mm. turned into an egg. Um, <clears throat> so Ugh. so they call it egg morphing. So <laughs> the other idea was, where does the egg come from? And so, as I said, there's the queen in Aliens, but of course, where did the where did the first thing come from? You can't just have an egg. So the idea is that wherever these creatures came from, um, there is a way for a single alien to turn uh, a human body, or or at least enough organic matter, into mm. a version of itself by some means. However, that 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 actually happens. Nature. Uh... Finds a way. Nature finds a way. <laughs> yeah. And um, and that picture yeah. is the is the one example we have of egg morphing yeah. in, in in the alien mm. universe. And it was put in to the director's cut, I think. Yeah, yeah. special edition. Into it, special yeah. edition as a part of the film. Yeah. So it is technically canon at this point. It is a yeah. canon way for the aliens to do it, which I think is quite quite hideous, really. It's basically taking your the person you've killed or taking your body because it's almost like the that adds a bit more credence to the aliens um, thing. He he, it's almost as if he's gone. Well, I don't want to kill Brett because he's old. I don't want to make. I don't want to use Brett as a host because he's old and a bit funny. Mm. I want Dallas, the leader. So I'm going to kill this guy because he does. He just kills Brett yeah. with a head punch, takes him away, and obviously thinks, well, he's going to be my organic matter to make an egg. Yeah, and then I'm going to catch Dallas in the vents because Dallas is the leader. He's obviously like the the one they all look up to. Um, if there's a modicum of intelligence in the alien, that makes him even more scary because he's intentionally going. He's obviously the leader. I mm. take him away. They're all mm. going to go like headless crazy chickens. I'll just pick them off one by one. He's to make the conscious choice. I'm going to make an egg, get Dallas, and it's almost like at that point, like kind of he just kills. Um, you know, he kills Parker and Brett even though he knows that he's got Dallas down there. So it yeah. kind of makes me think, what if he's trying, what if he's implanted, what if that egg he's creating is another queen? And he knows that this shuttle or this, this ship, ship is going back to somewhere, Earth, yeah. somewhere with a bigger population. That's the thing. Is the alien in the first alien that clever? Does it know? Well, in nature, you get weird intelligence like that, don't you? Yeah. Ant and bee colonies and things, they do just incredible things they that do. you wouldn't believe possible for a non-sentient being, mm. but it's just evolution, isn't it? It's yeah. just... Um, that's how nature works, really. Um, so I, I, wouldn't call, I wouldn't say the... I wouldn't guess that the aliens are sentient or conscious. I would say they're just acting on pure... Uh, instincts, but they're just but incredibly efficient. Yeah, to a certain extent. Yeah. yeah, they're just incredibly efficient at what they do. Mm. Yeah, I don't think he's like thinking it through. Although they are shown to think things through in, um, I don't know if you want to consider resurrection. I mean, it like, is part of yeah, canon technically yeah. where they break out of the um, yeah by like, killing one of their own. It almost implies that they have a conversation in that film, doesn't it? And they almost have a little discussion where yeah, two like, of the aliens kind of say, "Which <laughs> one's going to die?" Yeah, you're going to die, Frank. Frank yeah. dies. Like, oh, <laughs> typical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, then. Yeah, no, I'm tech me. Tech me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
when they rip him to shreds mm, and um, yeah. the acid creates a way out for them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess they are shown to be pretty damn intelligent. Yeah, they are. They are. And outsmarting the humans at almost every turn. Apart from in Aliens, where they just run at um, turrets and things. Well, I guess that you could call that um, tactical. Yeah, yeah. So many of them on that planet, even just they will overrun it at some point. It will run out of ammo. They just exactly. Even James Cameron sort of says that the aliens adapt to their foe. So when there was only a few of them on the ship, the drone adapted his attack plan to them. Mm. Kind of, you know, obviously thinking. Well, Ash is irrelevant because he's a robot. He's a machine, so he's not a pathway to survival. Yeah, you know, there's there's a very there's a very easy way to do this, and that's to just pick them off one by one slowly, like a hunter. Same way that Predator does it in Predator, mm. which is a very good film. Um, whereas the aliens in Aliens come up against heavily armed marines who actually have a way of defending themselves. Mm. And in yeah. fact, actually do kill quite a lot of the aliens yeah, yeah. themselves. Yeah. But obviously there's so many of them um, that they eventually get overwhelmed. And actually they it's almost like saying that the aliens shift their attacks so they kind of go, well, the only way that we're going to be able to beat the human's version of overwhelming force is with overwhelming force ourselves. Mm. There's no point trying to be stealthy about this. We're just going to go in numbers, all guns blazing, kind of jumping over shit and... You know, you do see a lot, awful lot of them getting picked off. Mm. Yeah. Um, but there's there's a point at some point in that film. I'm sorry, I know I don't want to touch on this for too long, but where I think they must have killed all of them by now. There were only two hundred and something colonists mm. that were actually implanted. Um, yes, the queen is still laying eggs, but there's no other humans. Like, where are they all come? Where, how they can't be multiplying. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, unless. No, that doesn't work either because they can't have egg morphed some because then they just have more eggs. I mean, yeah, less people. You're right, eggs. yeah, it's true. Bit of a funny one, isn't it? That is true, yeah. yeah. And then that grenade goes off and destroys everything. Well, we've already seen that the aliens can't really survive, you know, a hit from a pulse rifle or a smart gun or even being set on fire. So, and actually, that's another thing. The aliens in Aliens all seem to be mown down pretty easily. Yeah. Whereas the guys in the Nostromo, because even though they don't have guns necessarily, still find it, well, almost impossible until the final act. I mean, Ripley kills it by harpooning it through the stomach and then mm. killing it with the engines of the shuttle. Yeah. Well, they are melee-based creatures, aren't they? Mm. Their bread and butter is getting up close to things and yeah. skewering them. Yeah. I mean, guns aren't... They're not, they're, you know, even though they're the height of evolution, they're not bulletproof. Yeah. So explosive tip was it was it sh- explo- sh- caseless and really their defense tip- is yes. that they have acid for blood isn't it so yeah. it's like even if you kill me I'm still a threat yeah yeah you know yeah it's a wonderful defense defense mechanism yeah that's cool <laughs> <laughs> you see I it's just brilliant it's, it's it's what makes Alien so much a better film than Aliens in mm. my opinion is that. It's a genuine threat in Alien. I mean, it's a genuine threat yeah. in Aliens, but it's, it's weight of numbers more than anything else mm. in Aliens. Whereas in Alien, you've got this one super intelligent thing that's just picking people off, mm. knows exactly what it's doing. And I know they're two completely different films, and I know they're set in, they're designed to be two completely different films. One is an action film, and one is a horror film. Mm. But it makes it so much more scary having this thing on the ship that you can't really kill, that is so mm. difficult to kill. 
And if you kill it, it potentially might eat through the hull of the ship. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. You're fucked. I mean, that, yeah. that, that scene with the music is probably because of that. Because mm. their immediate fear is, we're all going to be decompressed. Mm. Yeah. That shit's going to eat right through the hull and we're dead. Yeah. You know, it's, and actually, they've got bigger things to worry about, whether they know it or not. There's, um, there's a scene later on when you get so used to seeing Kane with the facehugger on his face, mm. suddenly there's this interior shot of the med lab. And Kane is, for the, for the first time in a long time, on his own. Mm. There's no one around him. The facehugger's gone. And actually, they find the facehugger, it falls on Ripley from, from somewhere else. It, you know, it crawled somewhere to die. It finished doing what it had done to Kane, mm. and it crawled up into the vent above his head and died in there. You know, it, it didn't just fall off and die. It, it fell off crawled away and hid itself somewhere to die yeah. you know it's a, it's a it's a creepy it's a, the that is an animal reaction mm. yeah, yeah which then means that the face hugger is the parasite the face hugger is the is the the method of it's the what do they call it uh vector is it okay. vector is that what they call don't know. It, it, yeah because in halo she says that the pillar of autumn was always its intended vector which is a sort of a carrier yeah yeah, yeah. um that it just then instinctively finds this nice little cubby hole and then dies. <laughs> yeah. And then Ash spends a bit of time cutting it open and looking into the big kind of pink fanny sort of <laughs> sort of insides of the alien. Always creep me out a bit. But in the book, <clears throat> it was supposed to have a big large eye in the mm. middle of its back Ugh. that was looking at them when they were Ugh. when they were kind of Ugh. yeah kind of you know when they were working out how to get it off it kept yeah. you know it blinks it's looking it's watching them you know that and that freaks the fuck out of me yeah, obviously definitely. thankfully they didn't put that into the into the film because I think that would have that would have cheapened um, the impact yeah, I was going to say it might have looked a bit silly as well yeah because uh, the face hugger itself is such a brilliant design it doesn't need design. to look as well because it's just it just it does exactly what it's supposed to do. It doesn't it doesn't need yeah. to see behind it because it's already do, it's doing its thing. Yeah, and it, you know it's never gonna let go for any reason whatsoever, is it? It's just it's just clamped on there. It's so creepy the design, the long mm. fingers that are almost just like tailor made to fit round a head. Yeah. yeah, and they just it just grasps the person's head, just clamps on. Yeah, in just such a creepy. Um, such a creepy way that's just it's just so invasive it's so like it's the worst thing to have something in your face isn't it mm. Mm. it's just you know you have your personal space and to, to just the thought of having something literally just locked onto your face like that and to shove something down your throat yeah oh it's horrible but that's yeah. what you know makes it makes it work so well that's why it's so mm. terrifying I mean it's I mean it's essentially male rape yeah as well it's exactly kind of, yeah <laughs> have you guys ever seen Hamlet 2 no um, which is that excellent Steve Coogan film where he creates Hamlet 2 well one of the songs that he sings as Jesus is um, I feel like I've just got raped in the face which is <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> <laughs> weird mm. um, I mean that's essentially what it is isn't it it's face rape mm. has any other films come close to, to Alien in like a similar vein well from my point of view yeah. in terms of the sheer obsession 
that I have. Um, with it. Well, I mean, in the style of you know a similar. Film. Well, the reason why I'm asking that is because I think um, the thing, John Carpenter's the thing. Oh, yeah, the thing is a comes great. very very close. The thing is almost perfect. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and it's similar similar idea. It has a great ending. Similar <clears throat> a kind of feel to the film. This isolation of being out in the um, yeah in the Arctic and. Um, you know, there's isolation and there's paranoia and then there's, um, you know, this... They're, they're locked in there and you know that the thing is out there. You don't really see it that much. You know, it works in a very similar way. Yeah, apart from that horrendous scene where the head falls off the table and I grows like you Are you one of those people that laughs at that scene? No, I I, oh, okay. I, I call it horrendous because oh, it, I see it stirs. Good. I thought the, you were the, saying... Yeah, um, made, no, it chills silly. me. No, because loads of other people I know go, yeah. but I, I, I hate it. it, it it's the, the, the concept of the thing mm. freaks me out. Yeah. And actually, that's the point about Alien as well, is that Kane, after he's been raped in the face, gets up and starts living his life again. Yeah, because um, that's what a parasite does. A parasite doesn't parasite want to kill you. No, and um, you know, and he's absolutely go fine. up and have a good meal. He exactly. wants you to go and eat and be healthy yeah. and the until last it's thing, ready to. Yeah, the last thing you expect is that is that scene afterwards. Yeah, you know something's because they happen, they did that perfectly that. where they they let him get back to normal. They let him go to dinner. They mm. let him laugh and joke with everyone. We almost yeah. let us forget that it's happened. Exactly. Yeah. It's true, yeah, yeah. It's very true, yeah. Yeah. But that, I mean, even during the, you know, his final moments, they're trying to wedge a spoon in his mouth because they mm. think he's choking. They think, or, or he's just got some abdominal pain. And then there's that moment where there's just this kind of noise. Yeah. yeah. And they all just And they all just coil. stop. Because there's this... They're sort holding of, him down. They're forcing him down. So they yeah. think he's having a seizure. And there's this little kind of puff like almost a yeah. mist of blood yeah. just and you, you just see that little kind of circle of blood appear on his chest and it's just uh, the panic in the room apparently the the actress who played Lambert was completely <laughs> unaware I've in fact actually I think the whole class all unaware, yeah, unaware. Yeah. they didn't tell them it was going to happen that's why their reaction is yeah. so good because it's genuine they're just like what what just happened and <laughs> um, what's even better yeah is sorry is is Ash's reaction to mm. it. the second the thing appears and Parker picks up a spatula to go for the yeah. alien, Ash goes, "Don't touch it! Don't touch it!" Um, do you know? I need to watch this film again. Yeah, 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 watching yeah. Ash <laughs> because you're making so many good points about it. Yeah, he says, "Don't touch spot. it! Don't touch it!" In this panicky voice. Yeah, and he always he always says stuff. Like, well, we don't know. We don't God, know I really want to watch it again. <laughs> you, you know, this is this is brilliant because I, um, you know, I didn't pick up on all these things. I need to watch it again. Just with Ash's that mentality of looking at Ash. As Look at what Ash does. His motive with his motive as a protector of the alien. Ian Ian Holmes is. Um, I mean, for me, it's probably the the best performance he's ever put in because he just plays it. He plays it perfectly from start to finish. He he readily throws himself into being this kind of cold calculating. Everything he says is designed to mask what is really happening because he is dictated by... All of his actions are dictated by Special Order 937, which is, you know, the... um, uh, I need to know it off by heart. Um... (laughs) Something, something. Order nine three seven. Yeah, special order nine three seven. 
priority one, something, uh, capture organism priority one, all other priorities are rescinded. I can't remember. Capture specimen? Oh, yeah, here we go. Ensure return of organism for analysis. All other considerations secondary. Crew expendable. Well, what does he say? He says priority one... Uh, well, anyway, I, I, yeah, it's basically that, isn't it? That is his priority. So everything he does is designed to take them there. So he's obviously programmed Mother to wake them up at that course. He's woken up with everyone else. He may, He's the one... That the, the, when Parker and Brett do the whole, well, we don't want to do it, we don't want to do it, we don't want to go down there, goes, mm. if you don't go, you're, gonna, you're not going to get any money. Mm. So he gets all of the other people on board. There's even that moment where Dallas goes, Parker, will you just listen to the man? And having watched the film, you're like, well, I know that's not a man. That's a robot. That's, that's you know, basically the robot's already got Dallas and everyone thinking he's human, so it's fine. The only people that don't trust him are those ones over there, and the best way that he can convince them to do what he needs them to do is to say, you're not going to get any money. Yeah. So he's already worked out that's the way to do it. Yeah. You know, and then... it's Yeah, his, his character throughout the film is brilliant. If, it, if you watch that film, watching Ash... Mm. Yeah. Even when, he's not on, even when he's not the focus of the scene, you see Ian Holm doing so much. He's just brilliant. Wow. He's sinister even by just standing behind because he's watching everything. And if you're thinking that's a machine, he's a he's a robot who's programmed to make sure that these people might not survive, but as long as they get the organism back to Earth, that's all he's there to do. They are his tools, and he plays them like mm-hmm. puppets the whole way through until you know they knock his head off yeah. <laughs> and then set him on fire. <laughs> <laughs> so really, they. From working on a cargo vessel, they become the cargo vessel. They are. Mm. All he needs is one of them. Mm. And that's the thing. That's why he just lets them go. That's why he never panics when the communications between them and the three guys that have gone off into the derelict breaks down. He's just not concerned. Because he, he, he knows that they've gone in, they're probably going to get infected and they're going to drag them back. That's why he's by the airlock when they get back. That's why he presses it. That's why when Ripley questions him about the yeah. um, about the science quarantine and things like that, his you see him calculating, and eventually he goes, "What was I supposed to do?" You know, it's and and put yourself. It's a machine. The machine has decided that the best way it can win this argument is by going. Well, what would you have had me do? And when it can't possibly explain its way out of anything else, after Ripley finds out what it's done. It kills her, or it just tries mm. to kill her. That's that's it. There are no more priorities for that machine. Yeah, it's already done what it was meant to do, which was to get the alien onto the ship. Yeah, everything else is now right. Crew expendable. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. In fact, probably Ash is one of the main reasons why I love that film so much because it's just a superb performance, superb character, superbly acted by a superb actor. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And they're all great. It's a great film. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could gush endlessly, my dear friends. Right. What we at? That was it, I think. Yeah, excellent. That was really good. I really enjoyed that. I learned a lot. I kept my mouth shut most of the time, which was probably good. Um, but maybe we should consider sitting down, yeah, watching a viewing. Yeah, and maybe we do it with a microphone, and Tom can talk as it goes. 
we go through the film. I'd be more than happy a to commentary, do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like a commentary track or something. Now, see, I especially like this scene because, <laughs> if you notice, the TV behind it is a model Panasonic. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, personally, I think it's a second-rate Event Horizon. But um, anyway. <laughs> oh, to be honest, we should do it. We should have a discussion about Event Horizon. Because there are so many things in that that yeah. you, you pick up on repeat watch. I love that film. Yeah. I, was, I was joking I about this thing. brilliant. Yeah. I really like it. It's great, yeah. mm. and again, it's a it's a it's a brilliant haunted house in space film yeah. because actually, I, this is the other thing as well. You've got to question the sanity yeah. of someone who builds a ship that is already that scary. Yes, looking yeah. when it was working properly before <laughs> it before it was possessed by the devil. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> terrifying film as well. Yeah. Oh, that's the gravity core. It's like that looks like terrifying what is that thing that's horrible yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah no that's uh, we had to build it that way because that's the only way it would work it's like no that you could have built any other way <laughs> if it had to have all the spinny things that's fine yeah but it didn't need all the spikes coming out the walls and fucking I call I call bullshit <laughs> <laughs> I, you know and actually to be honest if I was on a ship and they said oh we've got to go out and get the event horizon and, and rescue everyone the second I saw the event horizon it would have just been a nope we're going I'm not going on there at all. Just, we, well, I think we should now talk about, not in this podcast, but at some point we should talk about Event Horizon. I'm glad that I've met some other people. Do you see? Yes. The, yes. I see. Click, beep. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And the, oh, um, brilliant. the, the bit where he sees the video of the, the, pre- the crew oh. and then just turns off and goes, yep, we're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. Fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's got some terrible acting. Well done, Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. And it's got, um, Sean Pertwee in it as well. Is it Sean? Sean we've got Sean Pertwee in it, yes. Is it Sean Pertwee? Yeah. And it's got, uh, Jason Isaac. That's true. Yeah. It's a fucking great film. Anyway, um, yeah. enough about that. We were talking about Alien here. So thanks for listening. Uh, this is obviously the last part of this week's pod. So, uh, you can reach us at, on Twitter at 2MTOOH or Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash TMTOOH. Uh, we have a website, which is TMTOOH.com, and I'm sure some posts will go up this week. Damn straight. Yeah. Yeah, we'll put something up. I'll uh, press go on those. There you go. We press the go button, and that <laughs> just happens, so that's good. Uh, thanks for listening. Once again, as always, iTunes reviews are more than welcome so if you're listening to the first time welcome for starters and if you like it then give us a review if you don't uh, I wouldn't bother <laughs> uh, anyway so thanks very much I've been Dan I've been Sean and I've been Tom uh, goodbye bye, bye.